This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Masser. Welcome to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. This week, we bring you our full conversation with Bloomberg's Josh Green. He was in New York, so we took advantage of it and made him sit down and talk to us all about this great cover story. It was an in-depth profile of Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. From the moment she arrived in Washington, Elizabeth Warren has tried to push a liberal takeover of the Democratic Party. It is this week's U.S. cover story. Josh Green, one of our all-time favorites, one of the most important and I think most watched political journalists around, spent some time with Senator Warren Mm -hmm. as she has come in and out, now very much in the heat of the Democratic Party primary debate, as it were, coming up on that next onstage event in the next week or so. Josh is here with us in New York City. Uh, So Elizabeth Warren, she's a comer. She's back. Yeah. (laughs) The hottest candidate probably right now in the Democratic field. She's kind of been resurrected from her earlier woes. Uh, you know, if you if you if you read poll numbers, if you look, you know, talk to insiders in Iowa, places like that, she's the candidate that people are talking about, and you see it in her fundraising metrics, and her volunteers, and in her steady rise through the polls. Well, you spent some time with her, so the persona that we see, whether it's on camera and so on and so forth, versus spending some time with her one on one. What did you see? She's, you know, she knows what she believes in, and, and that is the same on camera as off camera, or on the record as off the record. She's she's a little blunter and harsher in her in her descriptions, but the basic direction of, of what she's talking about is still the same. Her theory all along has been that you know the U.S. economy has essentially been captured and corrupted by big business, by Wall Street, uh, you know now by the Trump administration and Republicans, and the only thing that's going to get Democrats elected uh, is not the kind of a milk toast incrementalism of a Warren or sorry of an Obama or a Clinton, but big bold radical change. That's what she's introduced to the Democratic debate, and really she has shaped the race more than any other candidate. If you want to be competitive in the Democratic field. Mm -hmm. You have to be coming out with these big plans, which all the candidates are, whether it's Medicare for all or some version of a Green New Deal or abolishing the filibuster, the Electoral College or a wealth tax. But these are ideas that no top tier candidate would have dared to introduce a cycle ago, two cycles ago. And it just shows you how much things have changed. And I want to talk about some of those proposals. But first, one of the really interesting things that you do here is you take us all the way back to her beginnings. Mm -hmm. And you know better than anyone so much of a campaign, certainly a presidential campaign, is about someone's narrative. She's got a pretty compelling one, especially when you go all the way back. Well, so she does. There are two narratives about Elizabeth Warren. There's the narrative that she chooses to present about, you know, the the, the lower middle class Oklahoma schoolgirl who kind of succeeded and triumphed, became Harvard professor and senator. All that is true. The story I try and tell about Warren is a different one. It's her political education and how she emerged as a serious Washington power player, an insider as much as an outsider. And I submit in the piece that that's been the key to her success. So I uh, wrote a book about Congress 10 years ago, and I used to write a column for the Boston Globe. So I've known Warren and talked to her on and off the record going back to when she was still on the TARP oversight board, uh, Mm. terrorizing Tim Mm -hmm. Geithner and senior figures in the Obama administration. 
administration. After the financial crisis. After the financial right? crisis. And that was really the moment where she came into herself. In a lot of ways, it felt like, yeah. at least nationally, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, she had been you know, a, a fairly renowned uh, bankruptcy professor, law professor at Harvard Law School, not much of a public figure. But uh, you know, one of the things I talk about in the piece is that Warren has always had a gift for communicating. It was true when she was a law professor. It got her noticed by Dr. Phil, you know, who had her on a guest before anybody had ever heard of her. That brought her to the attention of top Democrats uh, who began bringing her in to testify because she's such a compelling person. Of course, that, la- that landed her the oversight gig at, t- at the, uh, the, the bank bailout. And that is the moment when you really see her developing her signature style of staging these big, aggressive, high-profile confrontations with senior figures, almost always men, and somehow getting the best of them in a way that galvanizes kind of grassroots liberal support. That is what kind of built up her independent base, you know, got her elected U.S. senator. And it's really been the key to her revival as a presidential candidate after early stumbles. So when she came to Washington, outsider? I would say she came to Washington as an outsider and an insider. I mean, by the time she got to Washington, she was someone who had actually spent a fair bit of time here trying to lobby senators, congressmen, administration officials against a bankruptcy bill that was, uh, you know, in and out of congressional focus for about 10 years. She lost that fight ultimately, but she told me what she learned essentially was how inner sanctum Washington power really works, how you build coalitions on the outside, how you kind of twist and spin and, and, and wheedle with senators on the inside to eventually get your way. And I think the great insight that Warren had that people still don't fully grasp was that something fundamental in our politics changed about 10 years ago. And the way to advance, the way to shape the national debate isn't to build a long legislative record and earn a reputation for probity. It's to have a big, loud, messy public fight that goes all over cable news and social media and gets people whipped up. And that is what Warren has been able to do consistently time and time again, whether it's on versions or bank bailouts or Medicare for all or impeaching Donald Trump. She is very good at setting the terms of the debate. And we're watching that happen right now in the Democratic primaries. Well, and not to oversimplify it, and you certainly will keep us honest here, that's essentially what got Donald Trump elected president. You know, it really is. It's funny. I was, I, so, so Warren had me at one point in, during this profile over to her apartment in uh, her condominium in Washington, D.C., which is very nice. She made me homemade le- uh, mango lemonade. And I sort which of, you really I, liked. Which I, it, was, it was good. <laughs> um, and I sort of pushed this line, you know, aren't you really kind of the Democrats' version of Trump? You know, you're breaking the rules. You're not being held back by party orthodoxy. You're, you're you know, offending all sorts of yeah. people with the radical nature of your plans. She absolutely resisted that line at every step. But I think it's true. She really has. What she's understood is that if you limit yourself to the conventions of how Democrats and Republicans traditionally run for office, you're not going to stand out in this new media environment. I think Warren understands that better than any Democrat except maybe Alexandria Mm Ocasio-Cortez, who's also internalized these new rules. Well, this whole idea, and you put this in your story, Josh, about go big or go bold, you know, go big, go Mm -hmm. bold kind of thing. Um, And that's where she seems to be going. But is there a little bit of a balance because you don't want to necessarily alienate certain people within the Democratic Party at the same mm. time. Um, and then there's also this kind of roll into this, this mission of we just want to beat Trump. Yeah. So it's interesting, like, you know, Warren, here? Warren. if you want to talk about her insider rise, one of the rules, she didn't talk about this, but one of the rules she learned early on was that 
you can criticize people, you can make a big public spectacle, but if you want to advance inside the caucus, inside the Democratic establishment, you don't publicly criticize leaders. And for all her outspokenness, Warren doesn't criticize Pelosi. She doesn't criticize Chuck Schumer. Um, What's different about this race, I think, is that if you talk to a Nancy Pelosi, she is very nervous about Democrats being perceived as too extreme, too radical. She just wants Mm -hmm. to get to November 2020 and have a referendum on Trump. Warren has made the complete opposite decision, which is that Democrats aren't going to show up unless they have something exciting to vote for. And that right now is the central strategic divide in the Democratic Party. A lot of Democrats, not just Pelosi, are very uncomfortable with what Warren is doing. Because if you look at some of her plans, uh, abolishing private health insurance, uh, you know, eliminating the filibuster, these are things that a lot of Americans are not on board yet. If you look at polls, decriminalizing illegal border crossings. Uh, Democrats collectively... Uh, being pushed by Warren, are venturing out into territory uh, that no Democrat has been willing to go to before. Maybe that turns out uh, to be an inspired move on Warren's part and and Democrats sweep into power, or maybe they blow the best chance they'll ever have to to get Donald Trump out of office. Talk to us about 2016 and Warren's role there, the decisions that she made, and candidly, the shadow of Hillary Clinton that hangs over her decision-making and the 2020 This was the most fascinating part about the piece to me is, you know, Warren came up through Washington both as an insider who worked within the establishment and as an outsider who who got attention in the ways that we've talked about. But when it came to about 2015, 2016, she had to make a decision. There was a draft Warren campaign for president. She could have run. She had a following. But she also had a a, a challenger in Hillary Clinton, who just about everybody thought was going to win the nomination and probably the presidency. And so Warren had to make a decision. Do I run or do I try and advance my liberal agenda through Clinton? Ultimately, she chose to do it through Clinton. uh, And that meant that she didn't endorse Bernie Sanders. And so it it, it made her uh, a sort of reviled figure among a lot of people on the left Mm. who'd formerly been fans. But Warren was so canny in her use of power that not only did she manage to influence Clinton, she was almost chosen as Clinton's VP. And one of the, some of the news I break in this piece, I got a senior Clinton campaign official to leak me a memo uh, written by, by one of them saying, we ought to choose Warren for president. She gives us the best bet to get elected for vice president, for vice president. Warren didn't know about this. So I I, I, showed her the memo and I said, would you have accepted it if Hillary offered you the VP job? She said, yes. So it it sort of opens up this whole alternative history of what might have been had Clinton and Warren run on a ticket together. Well, talk about alternative history. Does she regret what she did back in 2016, considering now she can look and see how things played out? She wouldn't answer that question to me. But talking to one of her close friends, uh, I was told absolutely she regrets it. If you could put her in a time machine and go back to 2014 and tell her that Donald Trump would be elected right. on a populist platform, she absolutely would have gotten the race. I think there's a good chance she would have won. So what's the next sort of catalytic moment when it comes to Warren and the Democratic field? Debate coming up in the next week. She's yep. done so. She's done well in, in that uh, venue so far. What does she need to really keep her in this at least front-runner pack status. She needs to figure out a way to grow her support. She is in the top tier of candidates, absolutely, but no one has broken out. You know, Kamala Harris rose after the last campaign. She's in the top tier. Joe Biden has come down. 
uh, but he's still in the top tier. Warren needs to find out a way to broaden her support, and she has two places where she'd like to do that and hasn't been able to yet. One is among uh, blue-collar workers who vote mm-hmm. Democrat, who, who are populist. Bernie Sanders is currently winning those voters. Uh, the other are African-Americans who are hugely mm-hmm. important in the Democratic Party. A lot of them have a favorable view of Warren, but they don't yet support her. She's got to figure out a way to appeal to them and keep them from going to candidates like uh, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden. I think that's going to be her mission in this next debate. Too early, though, to call who might lock up the nomination? Always too, too early to early. call. Ask, ask me again, like yeah. next May, and I might, I might venture a guess. Uh, I, one more question for you, Josh, which is uh, very relevant to our audience here in New York City on Wall Street, especially. Elizabeth Warren comes out with this plan. One of a series of plans, one that has caught a lot of attention in the investing world, is around private equity referring to them as vampires. How well is that playing and how central is that? And where does Wall Street fit into her vision? You know, it's interesting. What 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 originally made her reputation was her attacks on Wall Street in the wake of the financial crisis. Won her this liberal following. And early on in the Obama administration, after the crisis, uh, she was pretty much a reviled figure by the kind of market-focused people like Larry Summers and Tim Geithner. Um, an interesting thing has happened, though, in the last 10 years. I talked to one of Geithner's deputies in this piece. And he said, you know, we weren't fans of her back 10 years ago. But if you look at what's happened in American politics in the last 10 years, the fact that a lot of people haven't recovered from the crisis, she makes a lot of good points. And, you know, we've developed a grudging respect Mm -hmm. for her. So by no means uh, are Wall Street fans of Elizabeth Warren. But on the one hand, she's made it explicitly clear that she's a capitalist, not a socialist. So she's preferable to Bernie Sanders. On the other hand, a lot of folks on Wall Street, certainly Democratic-inclined folks, recognize that there are problems in the economy that need to be fixed. There are people who have been left behind. Maybe Warren is somebody we should think about as being able to provide an answer. Yeah, her discussions have certainly been very relevant. They have, and they certainly shaped the field in a way that makes some people uncomfortable, the wealth tax, that sort of thing. But clearly American politics or Democratic politics has moved to the left. She's somebody you at least have to think about uh, and and be prepared because she could certainly win the Democratic nomination. Josh Green, what a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.